This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rasland, today, we have uh, the returns of two of the queens of BFM radio. She is uh, the host of the evening edition. She is Lee Tree Lin. Hello. You're back, and it's great to have you back. I've been trying to get you back for ages for one particular topic, which we will tell in a moment. And she is uh, Lee Tree Lin's boss. She's... Uh, management now uh one of the voices that you used to hear she's frowning she doesn't like this talk at all but she's one of the greats i think of uh, bfm she is julian yap hi Kev. thank you uh, but that's not true <laughs> <laughs> we live in a post-truth age just run that's with it true. so uh, our three topics this week are topic number one is um when current affairs uh break in on soft power topic number two is film bros which is a new thing for me. And finally, topic number three is the reason why I really wanted Lynn here. It's a return to the topic of the musical Hamilton. So uh, with topic number one, Lynn, Mm. soft power and current affairs. Yeah, uh, no, this is just something that I've been thinking about a little bit because America, which is one of the great purveyors of soft power in this world, right, through Hollywood, through television, through movies, through all sorts of things, has been in a state of some out-and-out turmoil now for most of the year. Protests have been ongoing. Um, There have been these constant conversations about police brutality and racism and appropriation, and it just kind of goes on. And I've been interested in how that has affected the way I engage with and consume their entertainment or their soft power. Because like a lot of other people, I think I grew up as a child of Disney and Sweet Valley High and, you know, Archie's. And then I graduated from that into full-on Hollywood blockbusters and The Office and Friends and all the rest of it. And so I think for many people, a lot of how we view America and what it supposedly stands for, this idea of freedom or acceptance and and all these different things. Before you start engaging with America politically, you engage with America entertainment-wise. And so I think as a, I dare say, full-fledged adult now, um, you know, looking at the way I just find myself wanting to steer away from certain things. Like I can't watch their war films. I just can't deal with anything that takes place in the Middle East in the last 30 years because I'm like, no, I don't want to see your version of that. And, and that extends into all sorts of other things. And I was just wondering whether anyone else is having that same experience. Yeah, actually, now you've put it into words. Yes, yes, me, me. Right. Uh, yeah, Ju- Julian, what about you? What, what, what's yours though, Cam? I want to know. Um, it's the dystopia that's coming out of the U.S., where, so whereas these stories, as you say, Disney was always uh, bright, shining future, uh, freedoms, etc., and 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 that seemed to be the, the the inevitable path. The arc of history was going in that direction. Instead, though, it's just going to this dystopia, and so maybe all these bits of Disney and, as you say, bits of war film and everything were just steps in that direction. Um, so I was watching a bit of Modern Family which is, you know, it's, it's safe. I like to watch safe things, but I went right back to season one and mm-hmm. it was like, my God, this stuff is so racist. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so I, I, I have been suffering from that. Oh, but Julian, I mean, have you experienced this? I think I have, but also because um, I think in the first place, I wasn't very keen on a lot of uh, American media that was very tied to very 
I don't know what, what they're called. Uh, uh, I guess bureaucratic thingies. I wouldn't want to watch something like Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. There's a whole bunch um, of shows that are essentially cop shows, which, mm. you know, glorify a lot of things that uh, that are currently at the root of the problems that we're seeing now. But I never enjoyed that. And a lot of the time, something like Zero Dark Thirty, I do not enjoy. It took me a long time to watch that. I get that a lot of these are, a lot of the time the filmmakers are the people who make these, these pieces of media. They do take the time to um, explain the issues there at the root of the system, which makes them systemic in the that they have to portray it but a lot of the time it doesn't do it comprehensively so i try not to um it hasn't affected me too too much now i think because it's kind of like watching something from afar in kind of fascination even though i know that we're not that separate from it you know i don't i don't know does that feel like you're a bit separate from it no, I mean, I, I definitely feel that sense of separation. Um, for me, it's not so much about watching things like Cops or NCIS, which I never really watched in the first place. But like Cam, I was, I've been re-watching Monk, um, which, you know, is... It should have been a safe zone. It's a very kind of nice, cozy show. It's a procedural in its own way, which means everything gets tied up in a nice little bow. Tony Shalhoub is such a good performer. And yet he works with the cops all the time. And so there are these moments where out of nowhere a cop goes, well, I'm not going to do that because it's, it would be a violation, would it not? Or, you know, slams uh, a perp into a car slightly, you know, too forcefully. And I just think, ooh, I, I don't know how to watch this or engage with it. And, and it extends into things like action films. You know, there are a lot of action movies now that just when they casually come on TV, I flinch. And I think it's just the, the kind of infusion of real world America. And I'm just also thinking about how it's going to change the way they produce stuff or the way the world engages with the stuff they produce in the next, I don't know, 20, 30 years. I think the last 12 months for, for Hollywood producers has been a really a game changer. I would imagine all those police procedurals that were, were up for um, renewal or they were going to get a first run are like, cancel everything to do with the police. Um, and let's get more black people in there and Indians. Let's get Indians in our show. Uh, I, I think, yeah, it's changed. Now, I was, I've been rewatching Veep, um, HBO's very funny show, which was seemingly showing us the, the dark underbelly, uh, the cynicism behind authority in in washington mm -hmm. and and there they they're really worried about we don't want to get caught in a lie uh we don't want to break uh laws but now you can lie you can break laws um none of the things that stopped characters need stop a character i remember right at the start maybe um april may a lot of tv shows especially were pulling episodes, specific episodes, um, maybe shows that didn't have anything to do specifically about the police, about uh, the, 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 laws, the, law, the law in, in America, but they were pulling episodes. So like Brooklyn Nine-Nine had said, has also came out to say that the next season's going to focus very much on Black Lives Matter, um, going to focus on police brutality in some way which they have done, they have um, treated very carefully and very and done very well and respectfully in the past. So saying that they're gonna make a very active effort to do this, it seems, 
I don't know. Brooklyn Nine-Nine has done it pretty well, so I'm, I'm, I'd be a bit more okay with that. But I don't know how other shows might want to do that. I know Friends, uh, Mad Men pulled an episode where um, the character was in blackface, but that was the point. It was, you were supposed to see how um, awful and atrocious it was. So it seems like Hollywood doesn't really know what they want to do yet. Mm. Well, we must move on, but I just want to say if, if the US is in trouble, I think there are winners in the soft power game, South Korea. I think oh, sure. is uh, picking up the pieces. So here's the thing, right? I was thinking about that in terms of uh, South Korea. Previously, Japan, um, I think China also is pumping a lot of money into, into their movie industry, probably for similar reasons as Hollywood used to. And South Korea, of course, you know, is kind of winning the game. But I'm also reading this book right now called Kim Ji Young, Born 1982, um, which has been very buzzy and is about, in many ways, the, uh, the gender disparity in South Korea. And I'm just thinking it's only then a matter of time before something else comes along and you know before before inevitably i think we're going to have to see more and more of real life interfering with our fantasy worlds of soft power that we've been kind of spoiled by and used to for a very long time not having interrupted mm. so yeah it would be nice if malaysia could uh, anyway you know let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's move straight past that so uh, so we're going to move on then to uh topic number two which is uh, Film Bros, Julian? Uh, yeah, Film Bros. Uh, I think this isn't, this isn't a term that, this is a term that's been around for a long time. Um, it is something that I think everyone will recognize, not just in like movies, but also in books or literature. I think like you kind of see this kind of person or this kind of personality in every sort of field. And that is a person who hold a very specific type of this medium in high regard and they will defend it to their last breath. And um, when it comes to film, it is very, very clearly Fight Club, Pulp Fiction, anything Quentin Tarantino for sure. Um, uh, the social network, you know, a lot of these films revolve around um, lonely, straight white men, a lot of them dealing with that loneliness or in some way, making a place for themselves in the world. Joker, who Joker was a big one, and like they, uh, it's not they're not it's not in a, not in any way that this is bad. If you like these films, this isn't a bad thing. I love these films, but a lot of, it's what you do with that love for that film, right? So um, this sort of comes up every few months. So uh, last year it was Joker. This year it's Tenet as. As you would expect, it's a Christopher Nolan film. It is very, a lot of the time, a lot of these films are very, very well made. Um, and because they're well made, a lot of people have the right to hold them in their, you know, these are the best films ever made. I'm going to defend them. And you are wrong if you think that this isn't as good as it is. And um, I wanted to talk about this now because especially around Tenet in the cinemas now, I'm seeing a lot of people saying, telling people, um, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't understand the film, you must have, you must not have watched it right, right enough. You know, you wouldn't, you weren't paying enough attention. You need to sharpen your, um, your, your, your listening skills in the cinema. Your, I don't know, like. Well, that's you're, you're a stupid girl. Is that what they're saying? Basically, <laughs> anyone who didn't get it is dumb. And right. it's not wrong, obviously, to not understand what a film is trying to do, what a filmmaker is trying to do. What they, what they want is for you to go to the cinema many times. It's not 
a failure on anyone's part if you didn't understand it. Mm. And it's a lot of, so a film bro basically would take it upon themselves to call out someone for not understanding this. And right. a lot yeah. of Hollywood is kind of marketed towards this kind of audience. Well, listeners at home won't be able to see this, but uh, Julian's getting very aggressive and she's, she's bashing things in her, Every, in her room. Everything's just falling <laughs> yeah. down. But Lynn, you're uh, uh, nodding very aggressively there. Mm. You, you know what is with the this? use of the word aggressive can <laughs> oh, oh i'm sorry <laughs> yeah i'm just tuning <laughs> it back you know but no no i mean i i understand that um and also as somebody who has watched tenet recently who watched tenet as part of like the first wave of people because we were reviewing it um <laughs> i will just say if you don't understand tenet that's fine. That's really, really <laughs> fine. Um, it is not necessarily a movie that I think anybody is, is built to be understood on the first pass. So that's one thing. Um, but on the subject of film bros and I suppose the kinds of movies that call to a certain kind of audience, I think more often than not, they uh, tend to have um, some sort of intellectual or pseudo-intellectual weight to it. Um, it's usually the kind of film that can withstand um, multiple interpretations. And so I think there is this idea that there's only one correct way to engage with a movie. So I'm thinking here of something like Alien, which is a fantastic movie and, and I love it. Um, but um, there are so many different schools of thought, right? You could view it as a monster movie. You could also view it as it's really all about sex. It's really all about the fear of femalehood. It's, there are so many different ways. And I think that it is very reductive, but also very tempting to only force one interpretation of a film on people because it makes you right. And it allows you to kind of defend that position, as Julian said, to your last breath. Um, I, I, I mean, whenever I, I always feel very defensive. Um, so I'm wondering, <laughs> if, I'm wondering if this is an intervention, but I don't think I'm a film bro, but um, it's, it's a brand new term to me, but I, I, the movies that you've listed are, yes, very male. It's, it's about the male experience. It, it's about an adolescent to mid-twenties male moment. Mm -hmm. and they're, actually, great, they're great films. <clears throat> yeah. But, I mean, so many movies are that moment. A lot of filmmakers are male they start getting into the game and start being able to make movies in their mid twenties. And they look at what little life they've experienced. And then before you know it, it's, it's animal house. It's uh, porkies. It's uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting a bunch of movies from a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> and, and I would hope that we're going to get into a, a new phase though, where um, uh, women in their twenties are, are going to start making movies, which, counter that narrative and tell a, a female story well definitely i think it's happening yeah it's definitely happening and i think especially right now like you said before cam a lot of uh, studios are going to take that chance um we're seeing um nikki caro uh just who's just directed uh, mulan um the uh uh, Gina Prince Brightfoot, who's just directed The Old Guard on Netflix, um, women are being given that because of this. You know, mm. they, uh, studios also don't want to be called out for not having done this. But also, it's sort of in the way that Marvel, Disney released their whole list of the upcoming films for the next eight years, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and a lot of these, you can see, are tied to very male directors and very white male directors and 
a lot of them the same and a lot of them very inexperienced in the same way that you wouldn't see with a female director or a director of color or uh, a queer director. Like a lot of the industry is geared towards a specific audience, which is fine. It's what the audience chooses to do with that. It's funny though, because when I, when I was growing up and, you know, I guess like in a way I was sort of a film bro in so far as I was a film snob. Um, but we talk, and I've noticed we talk now a lot about American movies. When I was growing up, we were talking a lot more about movies from around the world. Uh, the movies that I held up would be from Russia, you know, from Britain, obviously, France, Italy, whatever, J- Japan. Um, and we'd be picking those things. But I feel like we're getting funneled. I don't see foreign movies anymore. They don't come at me anymore. Apart from, you know, if I really go out of my way and go and find some Korean movies. I don't know if this is in defense of, in empathy with, or just, you know, just a thought. Um, I do think that these movies, so uh, Joker, uh, Fight Club, all these movies that are fundamentally about alienation and about men dealing with feelings that have no other outlet seemingly other than starting a fight club or (laughs) or doing something that is the equivalent of that. Um, I think this also actually has something to do with the... um, the sort of monostructure of male stories, this idea that there's only a certain type of way to be male. There's only a certain type of way to, to engage with life or, you know, with certain stories. And masculinity is sort of a very um, one lens approach. And I think that the reason why these movies catch on and the reason why people defend them so heavily is because it gives... Um, it gives these viewers access to some feelings um, that maybe they have maybe movies don't show as much, you know, in terms of being able to process those, those ideas of loneliness in different ways or in a blockbuster sense. And I do think that that's what these movies kind of tap into that uh, we're not discussing enough. But uh, also you've mentioned a whole bunch of movies, which, which um, are really aimed at me. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm, I'm an older now, but, but I can imagine when I was young, I was watching these kinds of movies and they were trying to, I guess I would be trying to want to know what it is, what it is to be a person, what it is to be a man, what it is to, to be in society. But I just want to turn it around. I mean, you've mentioned a whole bunch of movies which are not, which are supposed to condition men. What, what do you watch? Oh, I, what, are there any things which, as two, as two women, kind of like, are supposed to be out there? I mean, there's so little out there for women. <laughs> Younger women as well. I, I should clarify, film bro doesn't necessarily mean that you are a straight man. Oh, it's this, not? Yeah, no, no, no. This oh. can un- encompass anyone. It's, what, it's basically the attitude you have towards a film and how you want to interact with other people, other audiences. And, and that's why I mentioned that thing about accessing certain types of feelings. I think that these are movies that have a blockbuster sensibility, but also some intellectual or emotional um, offerings, right? That try to like say, maybe, maybe it's about this, maybe it's about that. And I think it is the lack of, the lack of blockbusters that offer that same kind of interaction between feeling and action that causes people to go, you don't get it. You just don't understand. This is for me. Okay. And yeah. And I think it's actually the, the lack of good emotional storytelling, like telling a variety of emotional stories that would maybe um, diversify the film bro kind of <laughs> um, dictionary. Mm. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, well, it's been an education for me. Thank you. Uh, for both of you. Um, and I'm going to 
I, I have no desire to go watch the Joker. Everything I've heard about it, just I find abhorrent. So, well, well Cam, you're not a film bro then. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I think we've cracked it. <laughs> Excellent. I'm going to go and watch my uh, Lassie movies again and, and <laughs> Black Beauty, which is about a horse, people. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with a star on its forehead, like a the hero of my childhood. Yes. <laughs> so, but in a moment, though, we're going to go to. I think it's actually quite related to what we've been talking about, um, the musical Hamilton, here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Lee Chui Lin, and uh, Julian Yap. And now, uh, the musical Hamilton, which we talked about a long time ago when I had not heard it or watched it, and Lin was like a big fan, Mm -hmm. presumably still is a big fan. Um, Mm. Oh, okay. And uh, Julian, you have watched it. Um, I think you are a fan. It, it's now available. The, the film stage version is available on Netflix. And, on Disney, uh, Disney Plus. On Disney Plus. So we haven't got it here. How have you seen it, Cam? I thought I saw it on Netflix. No, you saw it illegally. <laughs> <laughs> That's not possible. So uh, <laughs> I didn't actually watch it, but I saw that it existed because I went and saw the stage musical version in London a million years ago, back in December of last year. Um, and uh, cost an absolute fortune. And, and so I watched it and I was thinking of what Lynn had said. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's this, it was a strange experience for me because I was watching it and so intellectually it ticked so many boxes. Like good, 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 good. But for me personally, as a musical or theatrical experience, dull as ditch water for me because like within 15 minutes I was going oh, there's a lot of rap here <laughs> I, I'm having a, I have I have never experienced this much pound per square inch of rap in my life and, <laughs> and there's so much about the rap in this that is is really poor quality rap as far as I was concerned but um but the fact that one of the things which I found quite amazing was that it um it talked about the American Revolution the the, the moment of the birth of America, but it put black faces on all the heroes of the revolution. And I was like, well, once you've seen that, you can't unsee that. And I felt that that was quite revolutionary and, and very satisfying. But so Lynn, are you still a fan? I, I am still a fan insofar as I was such a huge fan when it was out and it occupies. And it was a soundtrack to my life for like, a good year, you know, and so for that reason, it it will always I will always be kind of a fan of it. However, a um, couple of different things here. So I think away from the initial hype of it, away from the initial sort of joy of of seeing all the things that you described and you know engaging with it in that way and being a part of the structure of fandom surrounding Hamilton. Um, a couple of things. So I do think that the the story as a whole isn't as compelling as I thought it would be at first. You know, the way I experienced it the first time around, George Washington is a, is a tough one. Um, anytime there is a George Washington song, I struggled through it. And so um, I think re-watching it or re-engaging with it has been an interesting experience because I now have some distance, um, but also tied to the first topic about real worlds kind of interfering with imaginary fictional works I think it's been there's been some criticism of Hamilton recently and in looking at it it's quite 
well earned. Like I can't really, I, I don't disagree with the criticism and, and that's ended up changing the way I feel. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Julian? Um, I, I, I love it very much. I, I still love it. I think I definitely, um, I, so I started listening to it when, but, but maybe 2016 when it came out and I listened to it maybe religiously for about, like Lynn said, about a year. Like yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> when I was a student in London, I forked out so much. I watched it twice. Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that I had the, I would have the chance to watch something like that. I think it was one of the times where it felt like I had the op- I had an opportunity and I had to grab it. Like it felt so special. And I think even watching the Disney film, the Disney Plus film come out, it does still feel very very special even though it's been so long and I've heard these songs thousands like hundreds of times. But uh, all of the all like all the discourse around it recasting black people in the roles of people who historically directly involved in the mistreatment of black people even today because they wrote the constitution they created the horrible horrible um society the system that they have today like that's been that's been going on for a long time and i get that that is a conversation to be had and i can recognize that but also I, i i cannot ignore that it is such a good opportunity for a lot of people to learn about his American history, to learn about rap. I think it Hamilton was the great sort of bridging divide sort of musical for a lot of people because it came out in 2015 around the time when musicals were still for kids or for women or for people who don't care about, it's not real theater, you know? And the only musicals that mattered are the big ones like Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals, things that require the hundreds of thousands of dollars to put on, but in the way that you manage to put people, marginalized people on stage and also to bring rap to bring, Cam says it's not very good rap, but bring rap to a lot of people. Like I, I watched it with my dad. We walked through it together. Like we, we, we went through the story together. It was the first time he had actually been put in front of a screen and said, look, this is rap. These are many different types of rap. And but weaved into like a very traditional structure. He loved it. And, and, and he's gone, he went straight out and bought the complete works of Jay-Z, did he? It's like, <laughs> just can't get enough now. <laughs> I wish he did, but no. You know, I, despite the fact that I'm the one who doesn't quite like it, I, I would certainly step up to defend the show in that the, yes, the characters, the original characters were slave owners, one and all. I think they were all slave owners. The makers of the, the musical reclaimed that history claimed it for themselves in a different angle, I thought was really very clever. So um, I think the criticism here is not so much, uh, for me, the one that I find most compelling um, is not actually the part about, the, about George Washington or Thomas Jefferson owning slaves, which is a historical fact. And I think a lot of people went into the musical kind of knowing that anyway, or it, it wouldn't have taken long to find out. Um, I think it was more to do with how it engaged with its community today um, in terms of its accessibility. So ticket price being one thing um, in terms of the fact that, so Lin-Manuel Miranda himself um, has come under some, uh, you know, sort of some criticism for his family's involvement in Puerto Rico. And so there's all this different stuff that surrounds the discourse on Hamilton. And I think that that meant that when I rewatched it, watching it now, not as a scrappy underdog, but as a, um, a play that made so, so much money, so much so that Disney is putting its, its heft behind it. 
so much so. It's, it's just a success story at this point, right? Um, so I, I engaged with it differently. If you ask me if I still love it, of course I do. But um, the criticism has somewhat forced me to rethink my unconditional love of it. Wow. I think. I, I mean, yeah. They didn't know that it was going to be a huge success. It would have been such, it, it was such a, um, a risk, uh, you know, a musical, all rap about Hamilton and George Washington. That's crazy. They'll never make a penny. Um, so they, they can't be condemned for the money they made. I mean, that's not, that's not a problem. Well they, well, they can be condemned for the money they charge. Yeah, but it's I mean, Broadway. I mean, that's, it's Broadway. It's not community theater. It's not um, a low-budget movie. If they wanted to go make a low-budget movie, you go make a low-budget movie. It's Broadway. <laughs> that, that is what, that's what ticket prices cost on Broadway and West End. Ken, did you know you'd be coming into this segment suddenly and becoming the Hamilton. staunchest defender <laughs> of Hamilton? It's crazy. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, for me, it's been, um, it's been a lesson in terms of, look, I'm not cancelling Hamilton. I don't have the power to do that anyway. It's got nothing to do with that. It's more like an active practice of me actually rethinking my relationship with something I love. And I think it's good practice because um, I think we, we once talked on the show about how I don't seem to be a fan of anything anymore <laughs> in, in modern day. You know, I, I don't have like an actor that I'm devoted to. I don't have a director that um, if something were to come out about them, I'd be you know, entirely shocked and destroyed. My relationship with fandom as an idea has changed. Hamilton was kind of the last thing I had. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I think it's a good practice for me to, to work through problematic elements of something I love. It's, it's good. We should all be in the practice of rethinking our relationships with things or being open to doing that. Oh, wow. This, I'm, I was going to list all these different things I didn't like about Hamilton. Feel free. No, 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 it's, no. It's like, no, I can't do that now because I don't know. It just feels weird. Um, I think, uh, yeah. Okay. Lynn, you're, in, you're, you, you're to the, t- the topics that you chose today and Hamilton are, are, are I see you placed in a very interesting and uh, difficult emotional space vis-a-vis the culture around you. Um, and, uh, and also, likewise, Julian. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I was going to say, say all these reasons why I didn't like Hamilton, but now I'm going to say it's the best thing ever. Well... <laughs> Maybe then, Cam, you are a quarter of the way to being a film bro. Not even a film bro. You're a Broadway bro. Oh, no. oh my God. <laughs> it's oh, time to talk about, I can't okay. talk about no, no, I'm gonna ta- no, I'm going to tell, re- tell you the reasons why I didn't like it then. Uh, <laughs> but the, the audience, when I watched it, loved it. Um, the, the, the shouts of applause at the end. But I noticed throughout the entire thing, and I was sitting quite far back, this was a musical and it's rap. Nobody throughout the entire thing was nodding their head at all hmm. to the music. Not out of defiance, but it just, it, the music didn't connect to their bodies in such a way that they needed to nod their heads. And I thought, well, that's, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's, there's something about the fact that, um, you know, rap is... Rap is a very immediate art form, right? Like hip hop is a very immediate art form. It's very closely tied to um, 
to everything you just said, like it's an intellectual thing, but it should also be a bodily reaction. Like when you hear a good rap and you want to go, oh, you know, it, it usually causes that reaction. And I have had that to some lines in Hamilton, but I've had that at, in the experience of listening to it as an album. I've listened to it much, much more often than I've watched it. So yeah. I think that when you watch it, the remove of having it on stage in the Broadway setting does change things. I would imagine it would. Right. And and also, you know, watching it, for the, if you are watching it for the first time in the audience, there is, if you don't have the knowledge, the prior knowledge of anything, I had never heard of, of Alexander Hamilton the first time I listened to it, but I listened to it before. I knew the entire story. When you're there is as with any musical or any film, you're processing it for the first time. You're not going to be able to get, you know, like there's going to be a processing delay there. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I don't know, it's understandable. Okay, well, anyway, I just feel ashamed that I'm a Broadway bro, and... <laughs> well, we of the all things, Cam, I never things. thought. <laughs> oh, God, that's the... Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, I'm going to be a classical music bro, sweetie, soon as well. <laughs> uh, so, um, we move on, though, uh, to uh, the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest, and Lynn goes first. Okay, um, so for a show where I think I've, I've brought in topics that seem maybe a bit neurotic or very in my head. Um, My recommendation, I was mulling it over. Did I want to recommend the books I've been reading lately? But I think I'm going to recommend an activity. And the activity is learning to do something new that involves your hands or your body. Um, And this is coming from a space of me feeling, and I I don't think I'm alone in this, um, throughout this year feeling restless, a little bit of cabin fever, and it's got nothing to do with where I am or my home. It's got everything to do with feeling tired in some ways of the routine of my life. You know, I I think everybody's tired of doing the dishes and everyone's tired of of cleaning their house. I I don't know. It's just that feeling of needing a break from your life. And and holidays are, are fine, but I think that what I was craving was true newness and true novelty. And so um, learning to do new things, learning to garden. I plan to learn how to, um, you know, kind of hand-built pottery. I've been learning how to box. Um, I think just kind of doing things with your body and getting entirely out of your head offers the same kind of mental break as a holiday would. And so that's my recommendation. You know, uh, Lynn, funny you should say that, because I have a friend who does, um, he, he builds gardens and he does composting and he'll show you how to grow and he'll do garden or your balcony or what have you. And he says that in the last few months, his um, business has just gone through the roof. Mm. I people, believe it. People just really want to grow things. But he says it's not COVID or MCO related. It is the politics of this nation that people want to just not engage anymore with the politics of this nation. And so they just want to quietly go off and grow things. Uh, (laughs) I think that there is definitely some truth to that. I I think that it's just uh, learning new stuff and learning new things specifically that involve your body, your hands that get those things busy. Um, I think it really does offer a respite from your mind. So whatever it is that you're thinking about that you need a respite from, whether or not it's COVID or it's politics, um, I found that that is the most helpful thing. And this is coming from like a lifelong bookworm. So um, it's been new and fresh for me. I'm hoping it's new and fresh for other people too. Cool. I'm going to add to this very, very quickly. I picked up 
just bread making as many, many people did, I'm sure, um, over the MCO and also gardening. So it's like, oh, I did all of the magic boxes. Um, but um, I've been doing hand, hand kneading bread and the, you're supposed to, the recommended amount of time to bake, to knead bread for is eight to nine minutes. That eight to nine minutes, I make about two loaves a week. That eight to nine minutes per week is incredible. It is my favorite part of the week. When I'm, if I'm working from home, if I can spare the time, I try to do one on a weekday in between like calls or anything that I have to do. But like, it is, oh my God. It's like, try, it's another level what the eight to nine minutes is. I love it. I understand wow. that on a yeah. soul level. Thank wow. you, Lynn, for your recommendation. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I, I have nothing to offer. I've I, I spent more time with the cat. Um, oh. <laughs> so, um, so next recommendation beyond the one you just gave us, Julian, is what's your recommendation? Um, so mine would be um, a series on HBO uh, called Betty. So this came out, um, I think, probably March. It was like around the start of when COVID was all, you know, kicking into gear. Um, and it is a series of 30-minute episodes, very short, very not HBO. What we think HBO is, it's not prestige, it's not highbrow, it's nothing like that, but it's also not nothing. It is um, a bunch of girls in New York City, and they're maybe about 20, 21 years old. They're a real group of friends. All they do is they meet up and they skate at the skate park. And um, this is based, this is a series based off of a film by the, the, by the director, Crystal Moselle. And she made a film, came out a few years ago. It did really, really well. HBO commissioned a series. They also commissioned a season two. Basically, it is the most heartwarming, the most special film, especially during COVID when, you know, you can't see your friends every day. Um, I know we're out of it. We're not out of it, but here in Malaysia, we are a bit more, it's a bit more relaxed now, but also it makes you think of the importance of friendships and especially female friendships in a show. And it is only 30 minutes long, but every single week, I would look forward to that 30 minutes when it, when it would come out every week. It's, and, it's called Betty. Yeah. As in Betty Crocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, a very good, like, little 30 minute respite. Have you seen this, Lynn? Have you watched it? No, I haven't seen it. Um, But I think that there's been a lot of big wins for more gentle series or or more gentle content like this. I think the word is gentle. Um, Everybody is just feeling a little on Mm. edge. And so this sort of like, what is it about? It's really about human connection kind of content has gone a long way. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's exactly what that is. It's super gentle and a good, I think if you're watching now, it'd be a good weeknight watch, definitely. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, because I've been watching, you know, a whole bunch of like uh, a British detective things set in the 1950s. Mm. Because that's, I mean, you know, that you can't blame Brexit on it's. It's like, <laughs> and it's like set in a village and someone dies and, and, and Miss Marple comes along. It's just like so gentle, it's like safe zone. Um, so Gentle, Betty, but murder. Yeah, but someone dies. Don't worry. Um, so, uh, uh, Betty, I'll check it out. So, my recommendation is, so the actor uh, Chadwick Boseman died um, recently. He was obviously the star of um, Black Panther, which, uh, which I don't think was his best movie at all. Uh, I found the movie a bit... Uh, but um, 
but I, I think he was a really fine actor and he was very good at um, uh, play, doing biopics. There was something about him that he sort of like, he, the actor, really disappeared inside this character. And so I want to recommend, if you get a chance to watch um, a biopic that he starred in as James Brown, the musician James Brown, um, called Get On Up, which was produced actually by Mick Jagger, who, think, who knows a thing or two about music and musicians. And I think it's the best musical biopic I've ever seen. Um, because so many bio, musical biopics, they're just, they're just like greatest hits, compilation kind of thing. They just stitch together all these things. But this really looked at how James Brown, who I, I think is fantastic, um, how he actually made his music and what, what his thinking was behind the music and where it came from. And Chadwick Boseman was really good as James Brown, uh, a man who is, was incredibly problematic. I watched it actually get on up. I mean, I saw it when it first came out and um, I rewatched it um, recently, a couple of days, a day maybe after he passed. And you're right. It's a very, very, very fine performance. Um, he is so swaggy and so excellent as James Brown, while also kind of depicting the sadness, you know, some of the sadnesses that lay at his heart and just, yeah, it's a very, very good performance. Mm, mm. Oh, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it too. Um, so, uh, so that's my recommendation. Get on up. Uh, Chadwick Boseman starred in it. Uh, fine actor. And it's very sad that he died. So uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. And only remains me now to thank uh, Lee Tui Lin. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm glad that we managed to do the Hamilton thing and then I was defending it and you were... I, I'm still confused. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and Julian Yap. Thank you so much, Cam. And Lynn. Uh, and, uh, and myself, Cam Rusland. And so uh, I think we were all three of us definitely agreed that we just want to go and do gentle things and watch gentle things and grow gentle things and, and eat uh, bread and everything. So if that's also what you want, hope you find that. Um, and we'll see you next time on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9.